Welcome to the Leader's Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leader's Edge. In this podcast, I talk with Aaron Davidson, CEO of Relay, which is a multi-carrier insurance platform. Aaron has a long history in insurance, starting with Aon nearly 20 years ago, just as the industry was undergoing Elliott Spitzer's investigation. That experience put Aaron on a path toward digitization, which we discuss at length, including where the industry is in its evolution, which markets are saturated, which are underdeveloped, and how complexity of risk translates into complexity of process, plus a deep dive on cyber markets. Join me for this in-depth conversation on digitization. Aaron, it's great to have you here with me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Sandy. Appreciate it. So you are the relatively new CEO of Relay, um, and which is a quoting platform for, I think, mostly cyber, but a few other coverages as well. Um, your company has been behind the curtain of digital distribution for a while. So I and you have, as we've talked about a little bit, have been thinking about it for a longer time. So let's hear a little bit from you just to start us off. Um, a little bit of your background in thinking about digitization and insurance, and then where you think the industry is at right now in terms of its evolution. Yeah, thanks, Sandy. Um, so I've been in the insurance industry now. I'm, uh, I've been in the industry for 19 years now. Uh, I got my start in Aon's rotational program, uh, including being a cyber broker as part of Aon's financial services group. Um, I moved into account management as a generalist, focusing, focusing on large commercial uh, clients uh, for Aon out of the Chicago office. Um, and then after a number of years uh, being in the front line, I moved into management consulting uh, after I got my MBA. Um, Aon started up Aon Inpoint at the time, so I was their first hire uh, as a consultant uh, in the U.S. Uh, back in 2009. I was there for a couple of years, uh, went over to McKinsey, where I was part of the insurance practice. Uh, was there for about four years leading large global transformations for insurance brokers and insurance carriers. Um, went back to Endpoint as their head of product and solution development, focused around uh, using the data that they have out of um, out of Ireland, out of um, ACIA, um, uh, to be able to build new products and solutions. So things like where underwriters should be traveling to be able to have the best opportunity to um, get access to new deals looking at distribution efficiency and a couple of additional service lines around InsurTech. Um, and then after that, I moved over to Guidewire where I led their cloud transformation. Um, and then my most recent job was at ServiceNow leading the global insurance practice, uh, working on expanding outside of um, their historical background around IT, um, moving into structured work for the insurance industry. So um, building products that were focused around uh, digital, um, some elements of digital distribution, underwriting, claims, um, really as a platform of platforms, orchestrating work across other underlying systems of record and other applications. So really sort of building out some of these things for a while now in terms of operationalizing digitization. It, it's, uh, you know, a lot of it is uh, in, in many ways, uh, I, I thought ServiceNow was, was kind of my graduate level class on bringing everything together from before. Um, I think I'm realizing this really feels like my uh, my a PhD program around bringing together all the experiences that I've had so far. Um, I've been thinking about digital distribution um, since my my roots are as a broker. Um, it's where I started, and I still think about um, what were all the things and all the work that I did as a broker that um, in the year 2023, these things don't necessarily have to exist. 
um, how do people actually do work? And in particular, the, the question of how do people get to um, exist within an industry that um, I think most people in the insurance industry really like the industry that we're in, mm -hmm. um, right? It's, it's a mix of finance, legal, problem solving, business, um, and kind of negotiations, all those together. Um, it solves real problems. It helps real people and real companies be able to take on risk and do different things than they were able to do before. So as an industry, uh, it's very easy to learn. Uh, when it comes to the actual work that people do, uh, I'd argue some days it's a lot harder to love the work that people actually do in the industry. Um, it's often manual. It's often repetitive. Um, it's often uh, duplicative. Um, and it doesn't necessarily challenge people in the way that you humans really like to do work. And so um, what I've been thinking about, especially for the last couple of years, is how do you start to strip out a lot of the things that people um, both, uh, let's say, don't like doing um, in their roles, um, but also things that people are realistically actually not that good at, like process management, and allowing computers to do that work for them. Um, it turns out computers are really good at things like structured work or automation or doing things actually that people really don't like doing. And so what really platform does is it really works almost like the uh, digital assistant for how people want to transact business. Uh, we've started in cyber, uh, you're right. We have a couple of other lines of business that do exist on the platform. Our home right now is really focused around um, really cracking the cyber market today in particular because many cyber carriers have also embraced digital in a different way than the historic, the traditional carriers have in other lines of business. So looking at things like, how do you start to drive efficiency within segments that have traditionally been difficult to underwrite and find ways using digital technology to accelerate that process using things like right, APIs and the ability to generate quotes and get, um, and get binders and issue policies in segments that um, at scale uh, we're really hard to be able to make money in, uh, right? Traditionally, it's been really hard to find ways to do well in small commercial. Um, but this is a new way to be able to access that market. So it seems like Relay has gotten a, definitely a foothold in this and has found some success. But we hear all the time from brokers, you know, there's currently so many different solutions out there and we don't know how, we don't know how to pick the right ones. So Give us some insight from your perspective on first, what isn't working well, and then what is working well? Yeah, we hear this a lot. Um, it's, a, it's a real challenge out in the market too, um, where many of the platforms appear similar, uh, right? And at face value of a digital quoting platform, or um, even, um, I, I, I don't like to call it this, right? But some people will even call it a comparative rater. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like to think of what Relay does in, in those terms. But when you look at it as like digital quoting platforms, um, many carriers and MGAs are on many of the platforms. Many brokers and wholesalers have access to many of the platforms. And um, at the moment, it certainly can feel like there's a race to commoditization. Uh, across these platforms. They all at surface level do pretty similar things. Um, we're trying to look at this a little bit differently though. Um, number one, we're starting with how do brokers actually work? Um, so especially with my background, having actually been a broker and lived a life in the field um, and across our team, um, I'd say about a third of our company are ex-insurance professionals who have come over to the insure tech space. 
we really pride ourselves on bringing insurance knowledge to practically how do things work in a complex space differently than how we've seen many insure techs um, evolve since 2015, right? Since the insure tech boom. Um, many companies have had folks who have come from outside industry, say marketing folks or product folks or technology folks who say, I want to go solve insurance problems. The way that they've done it is they've often solved it by looking at what's the easiest problem I can solve. So you start to see things like personal lines was the very first place that insure tech kind of blew up, uh, right? Digital quoting and binding for homeowners and auto policies, um, comparative raters. Um, you started to see that uh, move into small commercial as well. The interesting thing is almost no companies uh, still over the last eight years of the InsurTech boom, I think there's been about $50 billion invested in the InsurTech space. There's still very little presence in the large and complex commercial lines business um, that InsurTechs are trying to focus on often because they don't come from an insurance background and understand and appreciate the complexities and nuance of the insurance industry. Um, Realize tackling this differently because um, in our, our newest iteration, um, now that I've, I've, I've stepped in from our, uh, the company founder, uh, we're a platform for brokers by brokers. Um, it comes from my heritage. It comes from the heritage of the rest of our team. And so we're looking at this from how do people actually transact business? What are the things that people actually need to outsource to a digital platform? And at the same time, how do you preserve the art of broking and underwriting while still taking advantage of the science of art, uh, the science of underwriting and broking? So what are the things we can strip out while actually not commoditizing the insurance brokerage industry as a whole as well? So uh, we focus on this on a couple of ways. Um, number one, user experience. Um, we have a UX designer on staff on our team um, as a startup insure tech. Um, that's not super common, but one of the number one priorities that we have is deeply understanding how do our users want to interact with technology in the most efficient way possible. Um, when it's hard, people don't come back. Right. Um, number two, we're looking at this from our, our panel. Um, we have, um, we've just recently launched with HSB. Um, they're wholesale only right now um, with the potential for, um, um, for some other um, potential opportunities with them. Um, but we're also looking at um, carriers that have gone beyond the historically digitally enabled insurers, right? Beyond the uh, CFCs, coalitions, cowbells, corvuses in the market. And starting to look at um, what is the market need, right? If you start to look at who are the top 10 cyber writers, um, you know, those are all MGAs and they're backed by many of the companies who are top 10 cyber writers, but none of those top 10 cyber writers are on most platforms. We have Chubb. Chubb is a top 10 cyber writer. Um, they're on our platform as well. And so we're looking at this by saying, how do people transact business? And then let's digitize what we can and preserve the rest as um, allowing humans to add that value. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third way that we're doing this is really by creating um, um, in the coming months, some incredibly deliberate focus on what are the features that really move the needle on how people do work. Uh, we're in a soft market right now, or a softening cyber market right now. It means wow, that- that's the first I've heard that. <laughs> um, softening, I should say. Right? It's not <laughs> softening. I shouldn't say soft, right? Cyber market is certainly not a soft market right now, um, but it's softening, right? We're not seeing 30% rate increases like we were last year. And so I think the average rate increase has been 8%. I've even heard it coming down to people are seeing a year over year rate decrease of up to 10% um, in some segments that I just saw a report on, uh, I think just yesterday. Um, a lot of that was losses haven't materialized. And so because of this, 
uh, brokers, especially smaller uh, agencies and brokers who rely on commission, are able to get less money from all those on, on every renewal that's coming in, potentially than anticipated. There's an even greater need to drive efficiency in the market. Um, and what I found generally is that um, platforms only succeed if you can do two things simultaneously. Tangibly save somebody time and tangibly help somebody make more money. If you can do both of those things, a broker will use it. If you can't do both of those things, a broker will not use it. They will go back to the way that they've always done it uh, and the way that the industry has done it for the last 400 years. Um, you know, the deal on the back of the napkin at um, at Lloyd's, right? All yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you think that the, there's something about cyber that makes it maybe a better entry into this type of platform? Um, I, I do in the sense that carriers and MGAs have taken a digital first approach and blended the notion of not just being a risk transfer platform, but um, also a risk management company, uh, right? You're seeing this. So um, at Bay, for example, at Bay offers insurance. They also have at Bay stance. So they have cybersecurity services they provide alongside those policies. You're seeing the rise of um, kind of gray hat underwriting beyond just like the traditional penetration testing and actually going into, we're going to try to hack you as part of the underwriting process. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a digitally, that's a digital first approach to underwriting that uh, lends itself well to also digital brokerage, right? As you're collecting information, scraping systems that can all get pulled through some of these digital platforms as well that just doesn't necessarily exist in the same way, um, right? If I think about like, let's say traditional commercial property, uh, you're still getting information of like schedules of values from ERP systems. Uh, there isn't like a single home. Most companies aren't using, you know, top grade Remis systems to capture all exposure information that often lives in a single source of truth that doesn't, that's not as digitally enabled as things like cyber. So you kind of can blend uh, underwriting and the services that you need to improve the risk at the same time uh, in cyber. It, it just lends itself naturally to that um, versus some other lines of business. And you guys have, I, I, you know, I know you have management liability as well. Is that something that you're, is that completely separate or is that something that you're finding is a need for people looking for a cyber product? Are they trying to bundle those things? Uh, it depends on the market segment. Uh, right. So cyber is sold uh, both bundled and unbundled um, as a cyber first platform today. Uh, our, our intention is to serve the needs across the cyber market. So management liability can be bundled in, often focused around smaller company um, or like private company management liability packages. Um, there's also some similarities around complexity and specialty lines of business on these platforms as well. So, um, you know, like I'd mentioned before, uh, the market for homeowners and auto is entirely saturated. Uh, I'd even argue that the market for BOP is actually relatively saturated with many platforms from insurtechs that have grown up trying to solve um, industry problems that are more straightforward. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe it's just me, uh, but I seem to only find myself in roles that are the hardest things you possibly can do, starting with the complex way of doing things. <laughs> um, and my belief is if you start with complex, you can solve simple also. And so it's been interesting to watch the industry solve, say, uh, straight through processing, right? Straight through processing is great for the most, e the simplest things. As you start to move into more complex uh, risks, more complex processes, 
transfer processing fails. And often you find that people move back to the fully manual process that people did before. I'm of the belief to say, start with the complex things, understand what you can micro automate within that process, digitally empower people to do their work. And then you just turn the dial on that up so that you can actually fully automate processes when it comes to the simpler things. So I, I have maybe a bit of a contrarian view from how most of the market has approached this historically. And so I see management liability as being actually fundamentally similar to, uh, to cyber insurance. It's a complex line of business. It's often heavily negotiated. Um, we have created some educational offerings to help brokers understand, like, what is cyber insurance? Why should you buy it? How do you sell it? Uh, it's the same kind of thing for management liability. Not every broker knows how to go sell that, right? It's not the same as like workers' comp that it's obligated. It's an obligation. So everyone sells workers' comp. Everyone sells auto if you have a fleet. Um, everyone sells general liability if you need to have a certificate of insurance. Uh, not everyone has cyber. Not everyone has management liability, um, yeah. right? Not everyone has... Um, you know, product liability, right? And so there's this whole space of complex lines of business that require education um, and the ability to really differentiate ourselves as a platform by really surrounding brokers with that set of capabilities to better sell complex lines of business. And it does seem like management liability is becoming more and more a part of governance, cyber governance, right? So they're looking to directors and officers when there's a huge breach and they weren't prepared. Yep. I think that you can absolutely draw similarities. Now you're, you're, you're getting into another interesting area around um, cyber predicated risk. Um, cyber predicated risk, I think is still an area of the market that is um, still relatively um, underdeveloped. Um, it's, if you think about things like, say, a property policy for a utility, where is business interruption covered? Right? Is it under the what? What happens? Right? If there's not physical damage, but there was a cyber attack on it, it still could cause physical damage. Is it the property policy to respond? Would it be a cyber policy to respond? Cyber historically hasn't covered physical damage, though increasingly so. Right? But I mean, I started in cyber back in the Wild West days you know, in, in 2005, um, the notion of physical damage covered by a financial lines policy was outlandish at the time. <laughs> um, increasingly, you're seeing that, uh, right? Many carriers are offering contingent business interruption um, uh, sitting on their cyber policies, right? Their property policy chastened. Um, But it's interesting because cyber actually cuts across, cyber risk actually cuts across almost every line of business, even if you have a standalone cyber policy or don't have a standalone cyber policy. So your point about directors and officers, I'd say it's the same thing for crime. It's the same thing for fiduciary liability. It's the same thing for employment practices, potentially. There's cyber risk embedded in essentially every line of business today. Yeah. All right, so that, let's talk a little bit more about the cyber trends that you're seeing. You mentioned rates definitely are not as increasing like they were. We're seeing that too. Um, do you feel like it's sort of a right-sizing of the market or is it that we've gotten better at risk management? Any other trends? I'd love to hear just from the inside what you're seeing in that market. Yeah, uh, and, and, and to, be, to be fair, right? So I'm, I'm, um, I've re-entered into the cyber market now since joining Relay and considering this. What's interesting is it actually feels a lot like a repeat of back back when I used to be oh, a frontline broker <laughs> um, in many in many ways, which is um, I think pretty interesting. 
um, back in the kind of early days of cyber, um, um, and, and, and I say this with all respect to my um, underwriting col- uh, counterparts when I was a broker, um, some days it felt like the numbers were just simply made up um, <laughs> what, the, what, the, what, the, what premium should be. Um, I remember negotiating a deal and, um, you know, for, for, pardon my broker war story, we kind of can't help ourselves, um, but negotiated a deal. The uh, underwriter came back and said a million dollars in premium. I think the uh, um, expiring was something like 400,000. I said, no, um, that's not even close. Uh, the underwriter came back with half a million dollars the next day. Um, there was very little science that went into underwriting cyber. Um, that's improved, uh, but at the same time, cyber still is a uh, low, relatively low frequency, high severity um, risk, right? If you have, you know, you aren't collecting loss runs in the same way that you are as workers comp, it's not as predictable, you know, actuaries don't do the same role. A lot of this is priced based on things like stochastic simulations and looking at things like, you know, vulnerabilities, right? You're trying to create that crystal ball. And so I do see there's still being that relatively high level of volatility in pricing and a mismatch between price and actual loss that's expected within any given year. It's still incredibly difficult to predict. And I think that's what you're seeing this year is uh, last year, uh, the market was kind of running rampant, right? 30% increases were, you know, 30% market growth. That wasn't uncommon. Um, The market is growing a bit more slowly driven by rate. And so that's because losses haven't materialized as potentially expected. uh, right, ransomware attacks have still existed. Zero-day vulnerability um, has still been exposed, um, but at the same time, losses just haven't materialized in the way that they have before. Hmm. Um, I also understand that there's also a bit of a challenge and some disjoint in the European market right now around cyber coverage and what's being um, what's within um, standard terms and conditions on cyber policies that Lloyd's is willing to underwrite as well. And so it is becoming a bit more challenging to actually get a policy that actually provides coverage for the things that you need. So, for example, there was just a big dispute that I heard uh, that I was reading about about um, war coverage, Uh, right, that there was a um, a, a allegedly Russian uh, cyber attack that happened. And the carrier was trying to exclude coverage by saying that it was an act of war. Um, these start to become really complicated things, right? What is defined as an act of war versus not an act of war? When are things considered terrorism, right? Things like TRIA was really complicated back post-2001. Um, the Extension Act still was complicated. Should that get added onto an ENO or a cyber policy or not get added onto an ENO and a cyber policy? And I still think that that definition of things like act of war, terrorist attack, is a very gray area today that the courts are still trying to figure out. And as a result, it becomes uh, relatively opaque for carriers to figure out how do I price based on that. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you that the act of war piece of it, we we wrote about that years ago when it was the same conversation and it doesn't seem like anything's changed and no nope. one's been able to figure out where we draw the line and then what do we do to cover for that event. And, you know, what does that look like? TRIA is TRIA, but TRIA has never actually been put into practice. So, right. you know, I it's, I agree with you. It does, it seems to go around and around a lot when you get to the to that really high severity event. And that's where you're buying the coverage for in general, right? I think I saw right. the, you know, sort of the average cyber attack has a loss of like $4 million. So if you're a small company, I mean, that could bankrupt you. You often aren't even buying a $4 million limit. 
you know, most of these companies are buying $100,000 packaged up with a management liability package um, or a throw-in or something like that. Or they're buying maybe a million-dollar standalone limit for a lot of these smaller mid-sized companies. Um, realistically, it's entirely inadequate relative to the risk in the market. Um, now, we talked a little bit about rate, rates starting to come down. Um, I think what we're also still seeing, though, is the market does continue to grow with new buyers entering the market. And at the same time, the majority of premium is still sitting within large complex commercial programs. And so um, there is still an untapped market of how do you look at complex programs that may have a blend of some of the digitally enabled carriers and some of the traditional carriers and how do brokers shift their work onto a digital platform to enable them to be more efficient, again, in this softening market, especially for um, commission-oriented brokers. Mm-hmm. Switching gears, um, just two last questions for you. So you started working in the industry at a very interesting time that a lot of folks today weren't a part of. Um, so what was it like working, starting your career during the Spitzer um, Inquisition days at Aon. Just give us a little bit of insight into that. Yeah, I mean, I feel, uh, I hate to say, I feel a little bit like a dinosaur some days, um, having actually like lived through that and remember when um, some of the lawsuits had come out. Um, it was a bit of a scary time. Um, it really put into question the integrity of the industry uh, and the way that people operated. Um, and so in the near term, um, you know, back in April or May of 2005, if I, if I recall correctly, um, it was a really challenging time, especially working in Aon's financial services group where, in, you know, lawsuits had come out or um, um, and uh, some of the people who I worked with were named in some of those lawsuits. Um, that was, that was a bit of a scary time. Um, at the same time, uh, I like to think about this as it, it was a really defining and transformational moment for the industry. Let's put contingent commissions aside for a second, which like I'd still argue that that is a complex topic that um, I'm probably not ready to get into talking about yet. Um, but you start to look at things like transparency and disclosure. What does it mean to capture information? And um, Aon saw this actually not as a challenge, but as an opportunity, just in the same way I'd say that Relay sees the softening market um, partly as a challenge, but partly as an opportunity. It's a, it creates a need in the market. And so uh, I was also at Aon during the time when quote disclosure reports were created. Then they were centralized in, if you can believe it, a Lotus Notes database um, <laughs> back in the early 2000s um, and then moved over into its own platform, which later became Grip. And it became really interesting because even with some of the challenges of getting individual brokers to log every deal and every transaction that they were doing, you started to get unprecedented insight into how does a deal work? Who are you going to? What's the activity that people are doing? And I'd even argue that um, the way that many brokers do it today of looking at things after the fact is, um, is still a bit of a challenge. And so one of the things that I keep thinking about is what kind of insight is actually sitting inside the data that sits on our platform? Uh, which markets did somebody go to? What quotes did they get? How long did it take to get those quotes back? Did you what's core what's what 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 is correlated with um, with winning? Is speed correlated with winning? Especially, right? So we're working a bunch with a bunch of wholesalers right now. The ability to quote quickly, especially when you're kind of behind behind the deal potentially, 
is a huge benefit. And so our ability to rapidly generate quotes and binders for, uh, for, for the wholesale segment is a real differentiator for those customers using our platform. And so the next level of this is understanding how do deal, deals work, especially through um, what one would call structured work, right? The ability to look at, at every step through a process, what happens, how do people touch deals, who's adding value and when, and then even better, how do you look at this through a continuous improvement lens? Um, so I was, um, I was actually, I was an industrial engineer in college. And so um, it still sticks with me around continuous improvement. It's often been something used in, of course, in the manufacturing industry. Um, but I just recently spent some time talking to our management team about Kaizen. Um, I think it's kind of coming back, right? Um, the yes, whole notion I know what that is. How do you eliminate waste? How do you think about um, uh, unnecessary motion? How do you think about overproduction, uh, right? I know that lean is like not the sexiest topic in the world anymore. Uh, but I think it's still actually really applicable, especially in, in our industry. Um, I done an analysis also years ago, um, um, back in a prior role, that said there's probably about globally somewhere around a half a trillion dollars of inefficient spend in the insurance industry um, uh, on about five and a half trillion dollars of premium uh, globally between uh, life and annuity and property and casualty insurance. So about 10% of premium in the market is tied up in this unnecessary motion. It's why I'm so bullish on these digital platforms is that's one way of running out some of these unnecessary motion, right? The whole, like, you know, I think about how many uh, follow-up emails I had to send as a, as a broker uh, saying, you know, hey, I sent you the submission. I haven't heard back from you. Are you going to quote this thing? When are you going to quote it? All that back and forth is non-value added activity. I don't get to a better deal. I don't get to a better price. I don't get to better terms and conditions. All I'm doing is moving process forward and it doesn't get me to a better outcome. Um, so I think about how do we systematically eliminate all that unnecessary motion and the way you can figure that out is like, how do people do work? And so that, that all sits inside the data. So the Spitzer era, uh, despite scaring the pants off me, uh, as a like newly, you know, newly graduated college student working in the insurance industry that I never expected that I was going to be in actually turns out to be one of the most, um, you know, is a real watershed moment for the industry in thinking about how does work actually happen? Uh, now that's it. I hope the rest of the industry comes 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 towards the way that at least the way that I'm starting to think about this, which is um, there's a lot of things people just don't have to do anymore that computers could do for them. All right. Well, you gave us a little bit of insight into this last question with with that, and it was it's great to hear how the effect that that event had on you starting out. Um, but you have taken over for the, the founding CEO of the company. I'd love to hear, and it sounds like you're already thinking about some of these things, but what's next for Relay? Yeah, um, we are, um, uh, in spite of being around for five years, um, we are still a startup and we're still thinking about ourselves in a startup mindset. Um, so that means understanding our customers. It, under it means understanding our product and our position in the market. Um, it's rapidly getting to new innovation. Um, we're looking to do some um, uh, some new deals and add some new carriers onto our panel. We have some really exciting announcements coming up in the, um, in uh, in July as well, um, as our panel does continue to grow. Um, and um, we're really looking to figure out how do we continue to differentiate ourselves in a complex market that is um, rapidly looking from the outside like many of our competitors are fairly similar to us and finding ways that we continue to be our own company. Um, so we're, we're in a really um, unique position. 
um, it's a true honor for me to 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 um, have the opportunity to take Relay to its next stage of growth. Um, and so we're looking at uh, what are the right segments for us to operate in? Um, where's the, the biggest need? How do we solve some really complex problems in the industry? Um, and, and really ultimately benefit the industry by transforming the way that work happens today, collect appropriate data along the way and insight about how that work actually happens, um, make this a truly um, efficient industry, and um, ultimately get back to what we talked about at the beginning, uh, which is help people spend most of their time enjoying the industry that we love working in and uh, get rid of some of the work that we hate doing to be able to work in an industry that we really all care about. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> well, Aaron, it's been great chatting with you. I have learned a lot. I feel like I'm caught up on cyber for the, for the moment. Um, and we'll see what happens going forward. But thank you so much. Yeah, thank you again for the opportunity. That was Aaron Davidson, CEO of Relay. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. For more Leaders Edge podcasts, go to leadersedge.com or subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.